Now last week, um, just to remind you, we talked about friendships needing to be discovered, not created. And the discovery of friendship was based on some affinity between two people. In other words, there was a, a common reason for them to become friends in the first place. For example, some of you have kids. Some of you who just left have kids. <laughs> Should have thought this illustration through. Now, you, you have kids who do sports and your kids get placed on a team or they're in the same gym as other kids. And you go to practices, you go to games, and you spend time with the same people. And you help each other, maybe pick up, uh, you know, their kids from practice, or their, you know, you bring on their kids from a game, and so you discover this new relationship that, at this point, you might mistake for friends. And some of you know why this is a mistake, right? Because all it takes is their kid picking a different sport. And all of a sudden, you never see those people again. And sadly, I, I see so many people who, who fall into this trap, this idea of like, oh, well, we're spending time together. We must be good friends. And all of a sudden, something changes in life. And then they're carrying all this hurt. Because I, I thought we were friends. When really, all you had was that affinity. All you had was that, that thing in common that was kind of keeping you together. But when you stop spending time together, you realize at that point that, that you never actually made it to the friend stage in the relationship. And the thing that you had in common was just the sport that your kid was involved in. So this morning, if, if we're going to learn how to be friends with each other, there's really no better place to start than learning how to be friends with God. And I want to base what, what we're going to talk about today on, on this idea of what does it mean to be a friend of God. And to be a friend, you must really know a person. The affinity is helpful, but ultimately you need more than that, right? And so because God exists in an eternal friendship that we call the Trinity, we must get to know each person of the Trinity. You can't accurately conceive of God without thinking of the three persons. And to think about each of the three persons will inevitably bring your thinking back to the unity of God. Early church fathers said it like this, No sooner do I conceive of the one than I am illumined by the splendor of the three. And no sooner do I distinguish them that I am carried back to the one. Listen to what it says in John 6, verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day, as it is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. 
each person of the Trinity is involved in this promise that Jesus is making here and really echoing from Isaiah. That they will all be taught by God himself. God the Father, in these verses, Jesus is is speaking of his people as those who have learned from the Father. He says, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. We, We learn about the 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 way in which God teaches us from God the Son. God the Father tells us to listen to His Son. Matthew seventeen five. He was still speaking when behold a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, "This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him." And throughout His earthly ministry, the Lord Jesus taught His followers to know Him and His ways. John fifteen fifteen. no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. We also see this promise being fulfilled by God the Spirit. The Holy Spirit reveals and instructs and enlightens our minds so that we can know God. We see this in John fourteen twenty six. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So we have this promise, Jesus is saying, that that His people will be taught by God, but that's God in all three persons communicating that message to us this morning. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to focus on what does it mean to be friends with God the Father? Each one, each person of the Trinity is communicating God's message to us. Jamie's going to be talking about Jesus and the incarnation next week. And then I'll be talking about the Holy Spirit the week after that. Each one has a different aspect, a different facet in the way God is teaching us about himself. But before I get too far, I want to point out two really important ideas. First, let me remind you that there is a big difference between knowing a lot about a person and being friends with a person. Just this week, I finished reading several chapters about Pocahontas from an American history book I've been reading for fun. And I can tell you all kind of facts about her, most of which... Disney gets completely wrong. But also, most of your high school textbooks get wrong too. But knowing all that information doesn't make me her friend. It, it doesn't, it's not the same as being friends with someone. Just because you know all these things about someone, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean the same as being their friend. And, and this is important to keep in mind when it comes to God the Father, especially, I think. Because there are people out there who have a PhD in the study of God who are not God's friend. The the only experience, they only experience God the Father as a series of facts or a series of truths. They never experience a genuine friendship with Him as a person. And perhaps that describes some of you here this morning. If I had a Bible trivia game, you would ace it. 
But if I asked you if you were friends with God the Father, you would say no. Second, we need to acknowledge that knowing God the Father as a friend is infinitely more complex than knowing any other human being. Right? But because of this, we, we are entirely dependent on God's willingness to make himself known to us. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Right? If it were not for God initiating and making himself known to us, we would never, ever know him. I was trying to think of, a, of an illustration of this, and I was thinking about a, a fruit fly trying to be friends with a person. And it's not a perfect comparison because God is so much bigger than a person. But I think you get the point. It, 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 it's, it's such a, a chasm between us and him that, that if he didn't stoop down to our level, we would never be friends with God. But thankfully, in his love for us, God has stooped down to reveal himself to us as he truly is. God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that we can really know him. Of course, we'll never know everything there is to know about God. God, after all, as we just read, is infinite. Right? We are finite. You, you will get to, into eternity future... And you will spend a million years and not know everything there is to know about God. But we can know him truly. There, there are people in our lives that we don't know every single detail about their lives, but we know them truly as friends. And we can know him truly because God the Father teaches us by sending his son, by giving us the Bible, by illuminating and understanding through the work of the Holy Spirit, Inside every believer this morning. And through these means, God doesn't merely teach us information about himself, but genuinely causes us to know him as a friend. One of the greatest joys in a believer's life is reading God's word or, or hearing it preached and, and having this, this clear and growing sense that the creator of the universe, that the one who holds all things in his hands is speaking directly to you as his friend. That's the first thing. God has to come to us first. And the good news this morning is that he does. In previous sermons, I talked about friendships being a, a two-way street, if you will. We, we have to do something with God's loving communication of himself to us. And here's what Owen says about our part, John Owen, uh, early Puritan writer, about having a relationship with God. He says, The ways and means then on the part of the saints, that's us, whereby in Christ they enjoy communion with God are all the spiritual and holy actings and ongoings of their soul in those graces. And by those ways wherein both the natural and instituted worship of God does consist. Faith, love, trust, 
joy, these are the natural worship of God, whereby in whom they have communion with him, Owen says. God is is so great and powerful that it would be impossible for us this morning to connect directly to him. That's why he has given us a specific way to worship him and show our love for him. And the way of worship has been established and and promised to us to, to bless us as people this morning. So we can communicate our friendship back to God. And Owen calls these things the ways and the means to have a friendship with God. And he breaks those down into two categories. First, there is what Owen calls natural worship, which includes things like, specifically, he says, faith, love, trust, and joy. These are the everyday experiences of God as your friend. When you trust the Lord in a challenging situation, when you believe what he says in his word, When you feel love for him and joy in your salvation, that's friendship with God. Brian, right now, as he's probably watching this live stream, is growing in his relationship with God as he is trusting him through this procedure. That's you acting like God's friend. That's natural worship. This is how we worship God with most of our life. This form of worship is the everyday experience that we as believers have. Then Owen talks about instituted worship. And this worship is no less important than natural worship, but the difference is it happens primarily when we gather together on Sundays. When a group of Christians come together, we have what he calls instituted worship that differs from natural worship. These are things like baptism, the Lord's Supper, singing songs of praise together, praying together, preaching of the word and hearing of the word together. God has called us as as his people to participate in these things during our church gatherings so that his people can respond to his word and communicate their love, faith, and joy as a group of believers. So now... That we've established that we cannot have a relationship with God the Father unless he first comes to us. And thankfully, he does. Then we respond to that good news through what Owens calls natural and instituted worship. That he has revealed to us in his word. But if you listened to the last sermon, you may at this point be asking yourself if... Dale, if friendship is discovered and not created by us, what what is the common thing that we have with this amazing, all-powerful, infinite God? What what is the, the shared affinity between God and us? The affinity we have with God the Father is different than what we have with God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. The thing that we must discover this morning is that the basis of our friendship with God the Father is love. That is the common affinity in the relationship between God the Father and us. Listen again, I think Owen is helpful here when he talks about God 
the Father's love. I come now to declare what it, what it, what it is wherein peculiarly and eminently the saints have communion or friendship with the Father. And this is love, free, undeserved, and eternal love. This the Father peculiarly fixes upon the saints. This they are immediately to eye in him and receive of him and to make such returns thereof as he is delighted with. This is the great discovery of the gospel. You see, love stands at the center of your friendship with God the Father this morning. Sports created the relationship in that earlier illustration. You, you are connected with those kids' parents because you go to the same gym. You Kids are on the same team. What, what we discover with God the Father is his love is what takes center stage in the relationship. Now, before I go any farther, let me take a moment to encourage you this morning to just appreciate that fact. We just read as a church who God is. And he loves you. That, that is at the center of the relationship between you and him is his love. Friendship with God is not based on his justice, on his power, or even the law. All these things are important aspects of who God is. But if they were the basis of his relationship with us, it would be truly terrifying for us. Right? Instead, when God the Father relates to you, he does so through his love. Whenever you think of God, he wants you to think of his love first and foremost. Now, it may be difficult for some of you to believe that this morning. So many people think that their relationship with God is based on his justice or his holiness or his law. They believe that God only wants to talk to them about their obedience or their sins and the rules that they must follow. And if you're one of those people, then it's very likely this morning that you do not enjoy your relationship with God. John Owen, again, acknowledges that this belief causes many Christians to, as he puts it, walk around with exceedingly troubled hearts concerning the thoughts of the Father toward them. However, as a Christian should we should never doubt the love that the Father has for us. For love touches on the heart, the very heart of who God is. In 1 John 4, 8, we read, God is love. We know that John is speaking specifically about God the Father there because of what he says in verse 9, where he tells us, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. 
So when he says God is love, he's not talking about Jesus. He's talking about God the Father because God the Father is the one who sent God the Son. God the Son and God the Spirit are also loving, but the Bible singles out love as the way we particularly relate to God the Father. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Or John three sixteen, probably the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It was the love of God the Father that motivated him to send his son into the world to save us sinners, to save enemies. Or think about Romans 5, 5 when the Apostle Paul writes, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The love of the Father is a wonderful, amazing thing. It's far more beautiful than than any other love we might ever experience on this earth. And it serves as the foundation for all the good things the Father has done for us. And it has the power to transform us this morning when we receive it. This love is a reflection of the Father's character. And as such, He loves us unconditionally without us needing to earn it. His love is perfect and unchanging, just the same way he is perfect and unchanging. Always the same for all of his children. And it's full of intensity and passion. The good news this morning is that God the Father relates to us in love. But what's our part, right? Remember, it's a... it's. Relationships are a two-way street. If that's what God is giving us, if that's what this friendship is based around, what does our response look like to that? What is our role in the relationship? Owen, again, I think is helpful here, suggesting two things. We must first receive God's love, and we must make suitable returns unto Him. So let's take a minute and kind of unpack these two ideas. Friendship is a give and take, so we need to first Take the Father's love by faith. How do we do that? Here's where Jesus is essential in our relationship with the Father. In John fourteen six, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus leads us to the Father and convinces us of his love. Imagine, if you will, God is is kind of like the sun, right? And and Jesus is like the beam of light from the sun that comes to earth and connects with us. All the warmth and life that comes from the sun itself is experienced through that beam, which is Jesus. We receive the Father's love through faith in Jesus. Jesus. And when we put our faith in Jesus, we are led back to the source of that eternal love, God the Father. 
When we believe the good news of the Father's love demonstrated in sending His Son, this faith in what the Father has done will help us to overcome doubt and rest in the unchanging love of the Father. You see, you're here this morning and you're basing your relationship with God on anything other than His love. You are constantly going to struggle with doubt. Because anything else would be unchanging. But His love for you is unchanging. If you're worried about my obedience and have I done enough, have I not done enough, you're constantly going to doubt your salvation. If you don't rest in the love of the Father, then your friendship with the Father will suffer. The Father wants to have a friendship with you centered on His love. And again, if you think He is distant or your life is marked by spiritual instability instead of rest, this is where you need to start. The Father wants you to experience His true nature compassionate, kind, tender, and loving. Don't allow sin or fear to cause you to ever doubt the love that He has for you. He never changes. So He'll never stop loving you in Christ. It's impossible for Him. We we have to fight hard against any unbelief and fear that, that would tempt us to believe this morning that God doesn't love you. We have a faithful friend in the Father and His love for us that is unchanging. You, you don't get more faithful than that. That's an incredible truth to build our lives upon. That's an incredible truth to base our identity upon. That's an incredible truth to base our hope for eternity on. The Father's love. The Father's unchanging love for His people. Have you ever wondered what it means to truly love God? According to 1 John 5, 3, the first part of that verse, obedience is one aspect of showing our love to Him. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And and it might seem strange to some of us this morning that, that love and obedience are connected like this. Because for many of us, we, we often think of, if we're honest, we think of obedience as a burden. That, that, that love is this like positive emotion and obedience is this negative, like burdensome thing that I have to do. But the Bible tells us that God's commandments are not burdens. Like, listen to the other half of that verse. And His commandments are not burdensome. When we understand that God's commands are given to us out of His love and His care for us, obedience becomes a delight Rather than a chore. When when you see God's commands as the good pleasure of of your loving Heavenly Father. And that's the key. Not your Heavenly Father. Not your all-powerful, holy, justice. As your loving Heavenly Father. Rather than a series of harsh restrictions on your joy. It makes obedience a delight. 
It, it totally flips our understanding of obedience around. Many of us experience, I think, the same dynamic in our human relationships. I, I do things all the time to please my wife. Similarly, I do things that I know will displease her, like saying irregardless. <laughs> right? M- many of you have spent the last couple of weeks, maybe some of you dudes the last weekend, searching for the perfect gift, right? Because y- you want to, to please her. You want to find something that will bring her joy, Our friendships must work this same way. We we don't feel, I don't feel burdened in the slightest when I do or don't do something that I know my wife will enjoy. As humans, we often struggle to obey authority figures simply because they tell us to do something. It's a common refrain amongst this generation. Don't tell me what to do. However, when it comes to our obedience to God, it's important to understand our relationship with him is much deeper than mere obedience. Our heavenly father wants us to obey him as a loving response to his love to us. We must refrain from sin. We we should not be motivated, though, by fear of judgment or the possibility of losing God's love. Rather, we should be motivated by the knowledge that the sovereign God loves us and that he only commands what is good for us. Our obedience to God is a way of expressing our love for him and pleasing him. In the same way that a husband would please his wife or a wife would please her husband. So we need to we need to strive to obey God out of love, not obligation or duty we we are to do it out of love knowing that it is for our own good and for the glory of his name and it can be challenging i think for some of us to comprehend this concept of obedience particularly with those who don't have a relationship with god because typically obedience is associated with some kind of punishment or coercion for instance, if you if you follow the speed limit while driving, you, you won't get pulled over by the police or you won't get a speeding ticket. And if you've never experienced the love of your heavenly father, you may assume that Christian obedience just works the same way. That, that must be the same way it works. Because that seems logical, but it overlooks the fact that God loves us regardless of our actions. So why wouldn't we choose to do whatever we want to do, you might say? Some of you may argue against the idea that the love of God is our strongest motivation to obey Him rather than fear of punishment. You may question whether removing the fear of losing God's love would give us license to sin as much as we want. But I would argue that those who seriously object to the principle of being motivated by God's love are the ones who have never truly experienced it. Though the doctrine of grace may be turned into an excuse of unrestrained sin, the principle itself cannot. 
In other words, those who truly know the Father's Father's unwavering love know that it inspires us to please Him, not to indulge in our own sinful behavior. While some may think that God's love would free us to do whatever we want, those who have genuinely received it know that it motivates us to do what He wants us to do. We, We demonstrate our friendship with God when we respond to His love with loving obedience. Obedience is an important way Christians live out their faith, their love for their Heavenly Father. But it might shock some of you to know that that's not the main way. Obedience is one of the responses that love for God produces in us. But that's not exactly the same as love itself. Instead, again, Owen is helpful. He says, love is an affection of union and nearness with contentment therein. And says that the love we return to the Father is a peculiar delight and yielding in the Father. Our love for God the Father is something that takes place deep in our most inner person. Now, I hope by this point, you, you have been convinced that your point of affinity with your friendship with God the Father is love. But you, you may be asking yourself, well, what does it look like for me to be friends with God the Father and to love Him the way you're talking about loving Him? If, if obedience isn't the, the main way, what does loving Him look like? How do I do that this morning? Because He is so big and I am not. Let me give you five quick ways that we can properly appreciate all that God the Father has done for us. And and I think when we do that, we will grow in our love for Him. First, you have to fix your mind on God the Father as love. That, That has to become your primary focus when you think about God the Father. We should, we should as believers always be fixing our minds on the greatness of God's love and kindness toward us. You have to discipline yourself to make that the first thing you think about God the Father. It's important not to see him as a stern and disapproving father who, who only sees your shortcomings If you focus primarily on his terrible majesty, his severity, or his greatness, your spirit will not be delighted in him. You won't feel drawn into a friendship with him. Instead, it's better to focus your mind on his everlasting tenderness and compassion toward you in Christ. This has, you you have to discipline yourself. I know for some of you this is incredibly hard because you did not grow up with a loving father. You grew up with the exact opposite of a loving father. They nitpicked everything you did. If you made all A's and one A minus, they would complain and harp and focus on the A minus and never say anything about the other A's. You could have done better. And because of that, that's the first thing you think about when it comes to your heavenly father. Harsh, nitpicking, Never can make them happy. Never can satisfy them. Never 
having a friendship with him. And that carries over into your relationship with God. And if that's you here this morning, you have to discipline yourself to see God the Father as love. And focus your mind on the compassion that he has toward you in Christ. If you really understand how much the Father loves you, you would be delighted to be in his presence. You would not run from it. You would not hide from it. You would be delighted to be in his presence. Second, fix your mind on who it is that loves you. The the Father who loves us has always been perfectly satisfied and content. He is perfect in every way and has enjoyed friendship with God the Son and God the Spirit from eternity past. He has never needed us. Not even for a moment. There's nothing that we could give Him. Because of this, we know that His love isn't selfish. Right? We, we almost always have to wonder about that with human love. There's always that thought in the back of their mind. It's like, what, what do they want? What are they hoping to get out of this? We never have to have that with God. Ever. Because He doesn't need us. He isn't aimed at getting something from us. But it's a love that purely seeks our good. Fix your mind on who it is that loves you. Third, fix your mind on what kind of love the Father has for us. Some kind of loves are better than others. And the love of our Father is perfect in every single way. Allow me to give you just a couple of quick examples of why the Father's love is so much better than any other love. First, it's free. It doesn't cost you anything. God the Father loves us simply because He wants to. It pleases Him to love us. If the Father only loved us based solely on our obedience, then we would rarely know His love. At least I would rarely know His love. And if, we simp- if he simply loved us because of some obligation, like, like he had to love us, then that would diminish his love for us. Right? I mean, you remember growing up and you had these cousins? And you had to love them because they were family. That wasn't a great kind of love, was it? No? But that's Cousin Eddie. We got to love him, right? God, God's love isn't isn't out of some kind of obligation to us. And the truth, guys, this morning is better than we can even imagine. Nothing outside of the Father causes Him to love us. His love is absolutely free. Second, God the Father's love is unchangeable. As I mentioned that earlier. Because His love is free, it's also unchangeable. Nothing is going to come along and remove us from His tender kindness. God never 
changes. So his love for us neither grows nor shrinks. This is the only kind of love the Father could have for us because if his love could be lost by our sin, it would have been lost a long time ago. Third, the Father's love is eternal. His love started for us before we were born. He loved us and delighted in us. God the Father has had a plan from the beginning to bring us into eternal happiness. There are many more ways that you can discover why God's love is better. Just just read your Bible. It's full of them. But those are just a couple of the big three. But let me move on to the final two ways that we can love God the Father. Fourth, we can grow in our love for God the Father by fixing your mind on receiving God's love by faith. If all you do is study God's love without focus on receiving it by faith, it doesn't do you any good. It's only when we really believe that he loves us like this that we'll begin to understand the beauty and the depth of the Father's love for us. Don't just study about it. Receive it. Whenever you hear a sermon preached, ask yourself, how is this helping me to understand and grow in the Father's love to me? Every time you read the Bible, ask yourself, how is this helping me to understand and grow in the Father's love for me? Then embrace the truths you hear and have read by faith. This will help you again when you doubt or, or, or sin tries to take over and say, God doesn't love you. And you can speak the word of God, the truth back to that lie. It's only the reality of God the Father's love that can smother the flames of unbelief. Fix your mind on what God has taught you about his great love. Lastly, allow the love of the Father to transform your heart. If you understand just how much the Father loves you, it is uncomprehensible and ungrateful not to love him in return. Stop for a moment and really, really try to let the Father's love for you sink in this morning. All of these things that I said about God's love, He wants for you this morning. Try to push away any kind of doubt. Try to push away your sin and just, just embrace the love that He has for you this morning. You know, every other world religion puts all the burden of the relationship on the followers. Every other religion. In those systems, one must please God with their service. Either with their service, their obedience, their self-control, their acts of devotion. But Christians love a God that doesn't need anything from you. In order for him to love you. He doesn't need a single thing from you. He doesn't need your acts of service. See Acts 17.25. He doesn't need your acts of devotion. See Psalm 50.9-15. Instead, he gives his love freely. 
unchangeably and eternally to all who accept it through faith in His Son. He offers the greatest source of joy one can ever know. And Jesus mediated that joy on our behalf. And because of that, God loves us deeply. This morning, if you would, bow your heads and close your eyes as we close in prayer. But before I pray, I just want to ask yourself, or ask you to ask yourself one question. Is God the Father my friend this morning?